Fika with Anika. The word fika is used as both a noun and a verb and is derived from the Swedish word for coffee. The Swedish coffee break is a moment to literally leave work behind. Taken at three in the afternoon, it's not a strategy for multitasking or for fitting in another mini-meeting. It's a chance to relax in the company of colleagues or friends. The key is to pause your day. So, brew up some coffee, grab a seat, and embrace Fika. Welcome back to another episode of Fika with Anika. I'm sitting here with uh, two ANZA residents that uh, my audience probably know. Steve Manso is uh, now retired, but you might know him as the former editor of the High Country Journal. And that's really all I know about you, Steve. And I don't know if you want anything else to be known about you. The less people know, the better. Okay. <laughs> and uh, my, my other guest is Kevin Short, which most people know from the co-op, being the general manager. But I know you do other interesting things, like, um, well, at one point you were doing bicycle repair. And yeah, and that you uh, you know you know about solar energy and all that really cool stuff, but that is not why we're here. We are mm -hmm. here to talk about actually fika related things. Now fika is the um, Swedish tradition of sitting with your friends in the afternoon. It's it's a traditionally a coffee break. Uh, today we're talking about home brewed beers. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just going to let you guys go loose after this point. <laughs> that can be dangerous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what made you start uh, home brewing, and how did the two of you come together? Oh gosh. Well, um, I started. Uh, oh, I can't tell you how many years ago this was. It must have been every bit of probably 25 plus years ago. Um, uh, messing around with home brewing, it was kind of at the beginning few years of the 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 kind of the popularity explosion of, of home brewing. Um, uh, it was it was kind of a very little known, little practiced thing that that uh, people that were interested in, in producing their own uh, their own beer at home. Uh, it, it, it became it became uh, popular back then, and uh, um, I, I think if I recall correctly, there was a uh, there was a place in Murrieta that provided uh, ingredients and a little bit of help in, in how to uh, that that place is no longer there. Uh, but I, I originally just started picking up ingredients there and sort of learning and experimenting with with how to do this and. Um, uh, through a move and a couple of other things, I, I sort of stopped doing it for a while. And then, um, I don't remember how we got to talking about it at one point. Well, a friend of mine who's been brewing beer <coughs> 35 years, he lives in New Mexico, uh, we got together one Christmas and he gave me some used brewing equipment he had. He'd been on my case about not brewing beer for a long time. And uh, his wife apologized to my wife, so that was <laughs> probably a good idea. We've been doing it, like we said, for four years. There's three levels of brewing. Uh, there's a beginner's level where you use uh, for your ingredients hops, but the, it, the difference is in the malt, or, or the, uh, what they call the mash. And uh, uh, 
Beginning brewers will use cans of extract. Partial mash brewers, which is what we are, intermediate brewers, will use both extract and grain. Uh, full grain brewers, and I know there's some in the Anza Valley because I've heard legend of them, and they should probably come on <laughs> your show at some point because they do the soup to nuts. They get big bags of grain and they uh, melt that down through a process called mashing, and it that's they create their own extract, and that's a really interesting process. But we decided we didn't want to do that because it adds a lot more money and equipment, and we couldn't be really kitchen sink brewers mm. because. It's kind of messy, so you have to have a special room set up. That, that's the part okay. that we usually have to get uh, special dispensation from our wives of making the mess in the kitchens. And, but, yeah. Yeah. The first thing you should do if you want to brew beer is get a psychiatric evaluation. And if you, you're proven crazy, you go ahead and brew beer. Yeah. And then the other thing is make sure you, you know where you stand in your marriage because it can affect that. Luckily, the wives love to, to watch us and kibitz. And, okay. uh, and, and actually and, help. I mean, yeah, they're, they are our bottling and labeling crew. So that's pretty cool. So you have your number one bottle washers on hand then? Yeah, well, yeah. actually, that's that's part of Steve's mm. department. Um, yeah. I, I think chief, chief bottle washer. And yeah, we can talk about the process if you want, but one of the most important things is sanitizing. Right. Uh, if you've ever canned fruits or vegetables, and I know probably a lot yes. of the listeners have done that, uh, you know how important sanitation is. You get an infection of any kind, air contamination or something from your hands or your equipment, that'll ruin a really good canning effort across the board. We don't want that. Guy. Right. So just to be clear, when you're done canning or, or capping off your, your uh, brew, you don't put it in a water bath or anything like no. that because mm -hmm. that would just superheat it and ruin Any, anything yeah, in there. Anything right? that ha happens to the beer post-boil, after you're done boiling, uh, it, that's not even beer yet. It's called wort. But once that, that wort is done, anything that touches that beer from then on has to be sanitized including your hands and any equipment that would go into it the bottles themselves and the bottle caps have to be sanitized the caps have ruined some beers because people forget to sanitize mm -hmm. themselves. oh okay yeah. do you recycle bottles or do you have oh, yeah. to buy new ones we recycle mm -hmm. as much as we can now we're incredibly generous guys so we give a lot of well, bottles away to friends yeah, and we sometimes don't get those back but we've I don't, I don't want to be accused of generosity i mean i think that you're you're very generous i am i am a selfish type of person and um i demand that i get my bottles back but I, you give steve's bottles away <laughs> but not your own that's yeah so okay that works yeah. it's not hard to be generous though uh, one batch of five gallon beer will make uh, between 22 on the low end and 26 on the high end of 22-ounce bottles, which are called, in brewing language, bombers. So you'll get 22 to 26 bombers out of every batch of beer. Wow, this is worth it just for the lingo. <laughs> oh, there's a bunch of wacky Wart and bombers. Yeah, it's got its own, uh, its own special parlance. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so if you break it down, do you know the math on that? So how much is a bottle costing you? I think we figured out it's what? Between $1.45 and what was our most expensive? That would probably be the double idea. Yeah, the more the more ingredients, the more expensive it typically is, especially when there's more hops involved. That's one of the most expensive parts of the thing. But yeah, it's a couple of bucks. It was like two, two twenty-five. Yeah. But you know, a bottle of really good commercial beer and a bomber can range from 
$3.99 on the low end to $12, dollars $14. Right. Anyone who's visited a microbrewery would, would mm -hmm. be familiar with those prices. Mm -hmm. Or even yeah. a, a unit Rouse. Yeah. 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 Or BevMo or Total Wine yeah. or any of those, right. those places. No, I mean, when I first started, you know, again, many, many years ago, that was one of my goals was, gee, I can make the kind of beer I like. And, and again, this was at the kind of the early stages of the microbrew uh, experience that we've all seen uh, recently. Um, but it was really inexpensive. Um, the the trade-off there is you have to invest in all this quick equipment, and then there's a lot of time involved in, in, in creating whatever, uh, whatever beer you want to brew. And you run the risk of creating a dud. But, uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that Manshort Brewing has <laughs> not come up with a dud in three productions. In our own esteemed opinion. That's right, that's right. <laughs> if we do say so ourselves, and we usually do. <laughs> Tell me about the process then. Okay, um, actually I made some notes on that because I we've been doing it so long that we would forget steps that we just do almost intuitively. Mm. So the first step is preparation. You, what we like to do is get our ingredients together. Now we uh, have used mostly kits. They sell kits now in many homebrew shops or online homebrew shops where you get the exact amount of ingredients of everything you need. It's kind of like buying a recipe in a box. Okay. The reason we like to do that is we don't have a lot of room to store excess amounts of grain and everything. Mm -hmm. Because once you start, let's say you brewed 30 beers in four years, you're going to end up with a ton of leftover grain that you have to find a way to reuse. And it's just simpler to do it uh, through the kits or through very specific recipes. So first thing you want to do is make sure you have all your ingredients, make sure you have all your equipment, and then that you sanitize everything. And I usually spend a couple hours before uh, we actually start brewing, sanitizing everything from the carboy that the beer is going to, the wort's going to go into, to... Uh, any little thing, a spoon that you're going to use to stir has to be sanitized. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about sanitation, are, do you put everything in a dishwasher? No. Nope. No? You fill the sink with five gallons of water. You add one ounce of an iodophore-based sanitizer. There's someone called Star San. I forget the name of mine. We use two different kinds. And then you just put about an ounce of that in there, stir it and you've got a, a food grade sanitizer with everything into, okay. including your hands, right. because if you touch your clothes at any point during the process, you wanna make sure you're keeping your hands clean as well. Okay. So now you've sanitized everything. And we're now, all the, prepared. Yeah. Okay, your, your mash or your wort or the, the ingredients that you put together, do they have to incubate like a wine does or? It, you know, it's, that's actually one of the beauties of, of uh, I've, I've got friends that do wine too, and I don't want to insult them, but wine takes forever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we can brew we can a beer. Who's got time for that? Absolutely. <laughs> There's beer to be drinking. Delaying gratification? Are oh you my kidding gosh. me? Come on. I have needs here, you know. So, <laughs> so we can we can produce a really good ale, and there, there's a difference between different styles of beer. Uh, ales are generally brewed and, and uh, uh, fermented at room temperatures. And there's there's dozens of books available. Steve brought the the holy Bible of uh, home brewing here. I, I hope that doesn't offend anybody. But, uh, um, so, um, gosh, I walked right over and forgot your question. Um, well, we were. I was asking about the the, oh, the ingredients. What do we right. have to do? Yeah. Um, Is this like stage two now, or 
Yeah, it's well, stage of... two would then be the boil. Yeah. That's when you actually get the stuff in the kettle and you cook it. Okay, so we are at that point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we, we have to add five gallons of water to the to the mix uh, of the kit. So we have to heat a certain amount of that, and then uh, the uh, generally speaking the the extract, the malt, uh, uh, or if there's grain involved. If we need to seed the grains, the malt. If there's any canned extract you need to add, and then that's all timed. You know, at certain times you're going to be dropping certain things in. Right. Uh, you might drop hops at the beginning <clears throat> of the boil. You might drop hops five minutes before the end of the boil, and another ounce of hops at flame out when you turn turn the uh, oven uh, the stove off and drop those hops in. And they all serve a purpose to make the uh, olfactory react to whatever you're drinking. Now, some hops are just there so your nose feels them. Right. They're, they're called, called aroma hops. Aroma hops, right. Yeah. And uh, hop science is, is <laughs> another specialty all of its own. So there's, there's dozens and dozens of varieties of hops. And we've been experimenting a little bit with some, some new ones yeah. uh, here recently too. Mm -hmm. So uh, after the after the, the wort gets going and after you've got the, the malt, uh, basically you're, you're breaking down uh, uh, enzymes and sugars and I can't remember the exact process, but uh, that's, that's what the heat does with the, uh, 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 you know, in the first part of the boil. Then generally um, there's going to be hops added at some point during the boil for bittering. So that's where uh, a lot of the taste comes from. The, the, the longer the hops stay in the, in the brew, uh, the more they contribute to the bitterness. And there's uh, different, different values in the hops as to their bitterness. It's called the uh, bitterness units. So the higher the, higher the alpha number, uh, I'm sorry, I don't, <laughs> don't want to get too off in the, in the weeds with that, but um, certain hops have different characteristics that contribute to the, the flavor. So that's 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 what comes first, the bittering hops. And we usually do 60-minute boils. Uh, every once in a while we'll run up against a recipe that's a 90-minute boil. But so after about 60 minutes, your beer's cooked, and now you got to do something called crashing, another one of those cool killer uh, beer terms. And what that means is you get the beer now. You want to bring the temperature down from that boiling temperature where it was cooking to a temperature where you can transfer it to another carboy, which is going to be your fermentation tank. So what we end up doing is making an ice bath in the other sink and dropping that into that ice bath, the whole kettle, and letting it cool for anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half sometimes. Which, which by the way, is a great time to have a Dinner. previously made beer out of the refrigerator <laughs> so you've got some time uh, to pass while you're waiting for this, this crashing. I understand you need your nose and your palate to adjust. <laughs> it's it's more of more of a, a mental yeah, adjustment. You know, there's okay. there's a lot of zen that's involved with this. It's we, very it's very cool. We follow the words of the great Charlie Papazian, who wrote <laughs> "The Complete Joy of Homebrewing." He says, "Don't worry, have a homebrew." Right. So at any point during the process where we feel a little stressed. We open up a beer. I'm, I'm starting to get stressed now. I'm just thinking. I know. I'm about ready to. So once we crash that beer and it's and it's at a temperature, and we usually want to get it right around 72 degrees, because most ale yeasts like to be pitched at that temperature. So if we get it down to there, then we will transfer that big old kettle of beer through a strainer to filter out any of the solids, as many solids as we can get out of there 
into a second carboy. Into, well, actually, it'll be our first carboy, mm -hmm. which is our fermenter. So we get the beer transferred to that fermenter. We get it up on the counter, and then we, when it when it clarifies, because sometimes if you make a beer that's got a lot of ingredients, it's going to look really like not beer. It's going to look like a, a soup, like and a then, must. Yeah, and so what you want to do is, or, or some like a like an industrial accident at a solid waste facility. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so. the hazmat beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so w what you then do is once that settled down a bit, and sometimes that's the next morning, mm -hmm. lately, mm -hmm. then you'll pitch your yeast. And by that we mean you just add yeast to that the That makes wart. for a long night for you guys. Babysitting well, that thing. We well, send Kevin home. He's He gets tired. I, I, I do have a very early time. So. <laughs> and then what we, we there's times when we pitch the yeast the next morning when it, when it was more settled out. Because... Before you can pitch the yeast, you have to take what's called an original gravity or specific gravity reading. So you siphon some of the wort into a tube, and then you take a hydrometer, you drop that, and it's buoyant. And it'll tell you on that hydrometer what your original gravity is, how, much, how many solids there are in there. And, and that comes, it becomes very important when you do it again the second time. But uh, you want to know what your originally, original gravity is at that point. And then you can uh, then you can pitch your yeast, and when you do that, then you cap it so that it doesn't uh, get any once again infection. Explain mm -hmm. pitch your yeast. Pour the yeast in. Okay. It's it's another term that you know, pitching sounds a lot more exciting than just it, pouring yes, the yeast. Yes, it does. In. I just wanted to make sure I get you. <laughs> and there's a couple of ways to pour the yeast in. You can mix it with warm water and make kind of a mucky solution and pour it in. I just sprinkle the yeast in right out of the yeast packet. Mm -hmm. and, uh, is this baking yeast, brewer's yeast? It's brewer's yeast. Brewer's yeast. Right. And but I, I know I have friends who've used baking yeast when they had to sure. and it's worked. But. And, and there's there's a huge variety of, of uh, yeast strains that uh, all contribute to the flavoring and quality of the beer too. They're very specific to the style that you're looking for. You will notice that if you ever drink a Belgian beer. There's nothing like a Belgian yeast. Yeah. And it does bizarre things to the flavor of the beer. Uh, and it's awesome. It's really awesome. But at the same time, you wouldn't want to use a Belgian yeast if you're shooting for a, uh, American pale ale. Mm -hmm. You would want to um, use a pale ale yeast. Right. Uh, so so you actually at the store, you you have all these varieties of yeasts yeah. available? Yeah. Do they come in the, in the kits? Yeah, well, actually, or if you order online, sometimes they'll recommend the best yes. yeast for that kit, and you buy that separate. And do that. And, and for, for another micro step up in between the beginner and the intermediate, you can actually, instead of dry yeast, you can, you can buy liquid yeast, which again is a, a whole new uh, area of uh, experimentation yeah. in, in trying to get... And we've used liquid a couple of yes. times. Yeah. The problem with us is we live in a very uh, uh, dry, hot area in the summer. And if so we never order liquid yeast to be mailed to us in, yeah. in the summer because it, it can get seriously compromised there. I understand yeah. right because it's already like almost activated in the liquid yeah. form essentially yeah, yeah. Right. that's right yeah. so then once you pitch the yeast you put a stopper with a little security lock so no infection gets in there and there's a little bubbler there because what happens during fermentation is that yeast you've introduced to the wort magically starts going after any sugars in that beer and what it's doing with those sugars is creating alcohol and um, emitting CO2, uh, carbon dioxide. And that carbon dioxide coming through the security lock makes the bubbler move. And that's 
you can tell what kind of fermentation you're having uh, by how fast that bubbler is going. And you can tell when it's done because the bubbler stops moving. Right. And the other thing you can do is shine a flashlight into your carboy and you will see a miasma of activity. <laughs> I mean, it's just going crazy. So going maelstrom. Yeah. <laughs> One of them M words. But anyway, yeah. it's uh, a big storm. It looks like a lava lamp on steroids. Yeah. And that's, that's my wife's favorite thing to do is get the phone flashlight and just watch it for a while. Honey, turn off the cable TV. Come and watch the carboy. Yeah. Let's all watch the carboy. But it's and that, another, another homebrew. Oh. And, and it's that process of fermentation that turns your wort into beer right and that's the really cool part so and that can go from anywhere from four to 14 days mm -hmm. uh, we've had uh, we've had fermentations that were perfectly robust happen in three and a half days and we've had some that just lingered for nine ten eleven days right. and again that's for ales ales are done at room temperature right if you're doing a log you need to do it at 30 degrees we don't have that capability right we can't fit our carboy in our fridge <laughs> or we don't have one of those expensive chambers which yeah. i'd love to get where you can set the temperature of the fermentation that might be on Slide the cardboard yeah well, it's gonna be one heck of a christmas <laughs> they're not cheap yeah so anyway uh and, and what happens too is as that uh that stuff gets chewed up and by the yeast uh, more gunk will settle on the bottom of the carboy that's called it's a, there's a wonderful german word for that called trube but it's really just spent gunk on the bottom right. of the carboy yeast and solids and of the uh, the malt uh, hop refuse hops and <laughs> all kinds okay. of fun um, stuff. we had a grommet fall into one one yeah. time out of some some equipment and so actually, you name that grommet ale lucky grommet lucky ale. grommet lucky i think grommet. Was an Irish I that, actually. here's our cream ale called sunshine of your love let's oh, see lucky grommet yeah there this is. is the second beer we ever made <laughs> and i was i goofed up and was using a little filtering device the grommet fell off and went to the bottom and kevin you said do you realize that grommet just fell to the bottom i said oh that's good luck for a red ale <laughs> and and, and <laughs> that beer came out so good that we named it lucky grommet so uh, well, the only two able, people would... in the world know what that name means, by the way. No, you're the third. Actually, yes. that, is, that is one of our trade secrets. So. Okay. Well, it's a secret. No one else will know. Right, yeah, don't it's worry not like about this that. is being broadcast. Oh. Okay. Right. Yes. I mean, nobody listens. It's Amazon, right? <laughs> so you've made beer at that point. The only thing left to do is transfer it again to another carboy and let it clarify. Leaving the sediment behind. And Leaving sediment behind. Making settle out some more. Yeah, settle out some more. Because when you uh, want to transfer that beer into bottles, you don't want to be pulling a ton of sediment in. I don't mind a little yeast at the bottom of the bottle, but I don't want cloudy beer. Is it carbonated at this point? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. You brought us to our next step. Oh, <laughs> just pure luck. I, no, I think you're intuiting this. It's nope. amazing. <laughs> So once it's clarified, that's when we... So I'll, I'll let you tell what we do, because you're kind of the bottling guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm an honorary member of the bottling team. <laughs> um, well, basically what we, what we do at this point is from the primary fermenter, we have to get it into the uh, secondary fermenter, as, as Steve said, and basically it sits there for, I don't know, maybe another week sometimes. It depends, on again, on the style of beer, and we'll let it settle out. When we're ready to bottle, it comes out of the secondary fermenter, if there is one, and goes into a bottling bucket. So um, 
there's more siphoning. Everything has to be sanitized once again. You know, can't can't uh, can't touch this. So. Um, <laughs> Okay. I, I wish I had my video on right now. Well, yes, audience. There's, there's a name there somewhere. What, kind, what, what would that go with? That would be MC Hammer Ale. There we go. Hammer time ale. <laughs> Hammered ale. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Um, so, so out of the bottling bucket then, um, this is typically when we, we measure that final gravity and right. calculate the alcohol uh, by volume, ABV. And you do that with some online... I've got one of those nifty things on my phone that just magically tells me yeah. what it is. I and so what you're it. looking at is what was the gravity when you finished making the wort? Right. And what is the gravity after fermentation? It would usually be a higher number becoming a lower number. If it goes the other way, you have serious problems with your beer. I think you created blood <laughs> or something. Yeah, but that, that difference is what gives you your ABV. It tells you how much alcohol per volume, which is 12 ounces, is going to be in that beer, and beers range anywhere from 3.2 for light beers to as high as I've seen one 18% yeah. at, at uh, Dogfish Head made an 18% uh, barley, barley wine. Yeah. yeah, some of those are approaching undrinkable. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, part of the joy of drinking beer is that you have one and a two and a three. Right. So if you have too much, you know, you're kind of done you, by the time you're done. You, you would have one. a one and a two uh -huh. if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so, so once we've we figured out what our uh, our ABV is here, um, we can complete our labeling uh, with that information. Um, then it's time to add the bottling sugar that goes in priming sugar, because um, remember that during the uh, during the process of fermentation, the yeast have done all they could to consume as much sugar as possible to produce the alcohol. So there's still a few yeast cells living in there somewhere so we got to give them just a little head start with, uh, with some priming sugar so they can carbonate in the bottle. So we stir that in and then fill the bottles and then our, our lovely uh, significant others uh, put the caps on um, all the while singing the Schlemiel Schlemazel song from Laverne and Shirley because um, they worked at Schlotz Brewery and they were in charge of the bottling line. So, I get it. Yeah. Okay. We, have, we actually have a beer uh, named for... I brought one. I did you? Oh, the taste. That's oh, cool. a double IPA. Yeah, when... when um, we, uh, we originally were going to name it for our bottling team, dedicated to Jody and Laura. And then uh, Penny Marshall up and died in... Uh, uh, December, yes. right. so we dedicated it to Penny Marshall because she was Laverne of Laverne and Shirley, mm -hmm. and they were bottling at the Hot and <clears throat> Puff. I forget your wife knows them. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> the she'll, she'll sing the song every single time. So at that point, the the yeast inside the bottle now is is slowly consuming that sugar over the next couple of weeks in the refrigerator, or well, in a, in a cool dark place, and uh, so then. Um, uh, basically, uh, that carbonates the beer in the bottle. Now, there's there's other methods of carbonation too. Um, when I was first doing this many years ago, uh, I did a couple of small batches of 12 ounce bottles and thought bottling was way too much work. So I started kegging. Well, you can keg artificially. You just uh, pressurize the keg with high pressure CO2 and uh, shake it up to dissolve the, the carbon dioxide into the liquid, let it sit overnight, you have instant beer. So you're drinking beer the next day. Now, oh. There's certain things to be said about, about um, 
about bottling versus kegging, in my opinion, because bottle conditioning uh, over the course of uh, a few days or maybe a, a few weeks really affects the cha uh, the, uh, the flavors and the nuanced uh, uh, characteristics of, of any beer. So, what are we what are we pouring? Here? We're pouring Shlomil Shlomazel. Cool which is our double IPA. We brewed this on New Year's Eve. We brew every New Year's Eve because we're a couple of old guys and we know we won't stay up till midnight unless we're doing something till midnight. So this that's what we... Uh, it's getting this, productive too. Yeah. I'm getting an unfair advantage here. That's right. I think you have a little more... Uh, I think I'm, get, I'm gonna get all the yeast. Looks that way. Good. So this is a this is a what's called a double IPA, a, a India Pale Ale, um, and that's a style that, that goes back to um, Salud, Slancha. Where are you? Oh, she's over. I'm just over here taking some pictures <laughs> for. All right. For social media. There you go. Oh. Remind me again. What was the name one. of this? Shlamil Shlamazel. Here's the some kind of Yiddish. You can take a picture of that if you want, and you'll have it. Yeah, there you go. Although it really should be a full glass. We'll do that with the next one. Yeah, we actually we had plans to sit here and drink for two or three hours. It's all right. We only bought two bottles. <laughs> okay, one. <laughs> and this is an example of dry hopping. So uh, IPA as compared to ale or it, beer? It, 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 India Pale Ale. It's right. a style that began in Britain. And um, thanks to some crazy wackos on the west coast of California, uh, now, and some in Oregon, too, mm -hmm. uh, it's become a super hoppy beer because the West Coast IPA became a Hallmark style. Ballast Point made Sculpin IPA. Mm -hmm. Stone came out with both Arrogant Bastard, which is a strong ale. Yes. And then all of their IPAs are super right. hoppy. Uh, <clears throat> let's see, I'm thinking of. Uh, delicious IPA, Stone again. Yeah, um, Green Flash, all those breweries down yeah. San Diego way. And then our good friends at Sierra Nevada made a pale ale that tastes mm. like an IPA. Uh, just their regular old pale ale. And that is an excellent pale ale. Yeah, it's just always been good. This is delicious. It's like dessert. <laughs> yeah, there's just just like the, the wine aficionados out there who will who will drink wine, and this has always fascinated me, and I'm, I'm glad I can able, <laughs> I'm able to say this out loud now, and, and at least dozens of your listeners will hear this. Um, I find it fascinating when you're drinking wine, you know, and you, you talk about the flavors that you experience, you know, the, the blackberries and the, the fruit and the, the everything that goes along with, how come it never tastes like grapes? <laughs> it's, it's made from grapes. What yes. is that? Nobody's ever explained that to you. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting armpit of newt. There you go. But not, not grapes or whatever. Not grapes, yeah. <laughs> But, but the, the, the great thing about this is with these three ingredients, uh, malt, hops, and yeast, you can develop all sorts of, of subtle flavors with beer. I mean, you, you can probably get something out of this, oh, like, like some pine flavors or some fruit flavors, some tropical bread and fruit flavors. You can yeah. easily taste bread. Right. Because right. the process is almost the same. It's just... It's liquid bread. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where it started. The, right. the, there are records of uh, Mesopotamians and Egyptians making mm -hmm. something like beer. Mm -hmm. I, from what I've read, it sounds like it's more like malt stew, 
or malt, <laughs> malt porridge, yeah. but uh, but it, it was probably the first step at beer. George Washington brewed beer. Mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson brewed beer. Um, it didn't become Ill- illegal to make homebrew until 1920 with prohibition, and then it didn't become illegal illegal uh, again right. until the mid 1970s yep. when uh, Alan Cranston, a senator from California, uh, working with his buddy Charlie Papadopoulos. Uh, sent a bill to Congress that they passed uh, that allowed for home brewing. Uh, Jimmy Carter signed it into law, so that would have been the late 70s. And then uh, only two states, because uh, the 21st Amendment says that uh, states have jurisdiction of their, over, over their own beverage laws. And so it wasn't until, I think, I want to say uh, 1990s that Mississippi and mm. Alabama got on board. And then all 50 states who are allowed in homebrewing. There's rules. We can't make more than 100 gallons a year, each of us. So if we count the bottling crew, we could make 400 gallons a year. Kevin would have to quit his job and we'd be, have to be working 24 hours. I think we need to ramp up production. <laughs> so, and then we can't... Wouldn't that be lovely having a microbrewery up here? Why not? Because uh, it's hard work and the water. Uh, you need very pure water. We can't use Anza water, or at least we can't use my water from my well because it's got a high iron content. And that's going to give off off-putting, off-flavor right. in the beer. So we have to use bottled water, like uh, two and a half gallon bottles of either spring water or drink, what they call drinking water because it's been... Yeah, lot water is a, is a major factor yeah. and, wow. and there is a lot of effort to go into it. And um, microbreweries, as they've developed, really, uh, uh, you know, their, their destinations for, you know, just like in the in the wine country, all of the wineries you have the tasting rooms, and then there's usually a restaurant or something like that. It's certainly doable. It certainly is doable, but it is a lot of work, okay. and um, I'm really not supposed to moonlight. You know, so. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing though. When prohibition was in place. Uh, People like Pabst and some of the larger breweries, they would sell their malt because they had a process, a mashing process, where where they made malt. They would sell their malt, and what they did is they put a picture of a matronly grandmother on the label and sold it as malt. But it was kind of a wink, wink, nod, nod. um, You're going to use this making your own beer at home. Yeah, that's what you're going to do. So... I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm setting just, up bottles for a picture I'm just thinking here. that, you know, for radio listeners, this is a sound that you're probably very familiar with. <laughs> if you're a beer drinker at home. Yeah, your labels are fantastic. How much fun you have coming up with well, the names it shows here. Yeah, that's why we never went to forced carbonation in kegs. Uh, one, we didn't have the equipment, but we never invested in it because <clears throat> half of the fun for us is coming up with the names yeah. and... And you know, our logo is man short, so it's my first four letters of my last name and his entire name. And our motto is, even there are two of us, we're always a man short. So, <laughs> that just doesn't, doesn't seem to ever change. Yeah. And no one ever questions that, that's what I... <laughs> I and no one make, steps up. <laughs> I, it, it's, our own wives think, boy, that's, yeah. that's an overestimation. Oh. Kind of obvious, <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. Mm. Do you have to label your bottles? Mm-mm. Okay. Other than you, we should try that sometime. 
No labels for like, you know, just mix them up and it's the surprise box or something. Oh my God, that would be <laughs> cruel. <laughs> what do you want? Oh, that's not what I wanted. Oh. No, it's just so we know what it is. And it's, of course. it's fun. Yeah. And it gives I, our wife something to do. And, and the great thing about naming too is, you know, like there was one time we set up to make a red ale and our fermentation, we just couldn't get it right. So it came out to be more like an amber ale and it was low in alcohol. So we called it, uh, I think it was when Trump was just first in office, we called it Alternative Facts Amber Session Ale. A Session Ale is a low alcohol beer that you can drink a lot of. I think so I brought a one of those. That's I think I, yeah, I think I brought one, one of them. All the way on the end there. And it's not really a fake beer because it was great. I loved it. It, was really it just beer. wasn't a beer that you sit down by the fire and say, hey, this is a big beer. I'm going to really sip it. Well, this is a, this what it was is we, we bought this, this, this Red Ale kit. And the fact was, it turned out to be an amber ale beer. So, you know, there was an alternative to the the, the fact of the beer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to put it. Yeah. Right. I'm just reading on the label, and it says ABB 4.0, mm -hmm. honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like to have a little fun. <laughs> Trust uh, us. Goodness. All right, so we got to the part of the process where um, it's everything is uh, is bottled and capped. Mm -hmm. And then it sits in the dark in cases for about two weeks. And then we pull it out, and if we hear, when we, then we know we've got carbonation right. and life is beautiful. Okay. Then we pour it into glass, taste it, congratulate ourselves for about a couple days. Uh, my arm is sore, patting myself on the back, and, and then, then we, we think about the back. next beer we're going to brew. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Speaking kinda, of, we're due for 31. Yeah. 31's coming up. We, we don't know what we're going to do yet. 31? Is that a... a uh, number 31. Number oh, 30, number 31. Yeah, okay. this was beer 30. When we, and that this one, I brought one of those, too. It's <laughs> it's an Azaka ale. And Azaka is a relatively... I've never even heard of it. Uh, well, you know, um, hop growers are getting Especially to be... Especially wrapped. Um, <laughs> hop growers are getting to be... Uh, like mad scientists, like uh, pot growers who grow really interesting strains. Yes. This Azaka hop is a relatively new hop that they developed. It's named after the Haitian god of agriculture, but apparently he was a pretty unsavory god. He, uh, he dressed like a hillbilly and he demanded foos, booze, and sex. Boo food, booze, and sex for a good harvest. Do you think he would fit in an answer? Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I think I hire them seasonally, but anyway, uh, but, but um, uh, so uh, it's a fun hop. It's it's uh, what we discovered is a beer that it tastes bitter on the front of the palate, and then you get some notes of fruit when you're when you're uh, when it gets to the back of your palate and before you swallow. So it's kind of a cool beer. One thing I hadn't I hadn't mentioned to you too: the second bottle that I tried of the Azaka, it was you know like a week after. We tried the first one. The bottle conditioning made a yeah. tremendous difference in the hop note. That that will happen too. Bottle conditioning. Things just things happen in the bottle in the refrigerator for a week. Yeah. Okay. Well, and actually, we've I've opened beers six months later, and they still tasted great. In fact, sometimes they taste better. Yeah. Now you don't want to go too long because <clears throat> one of the great things about home brewing is you get fresh beer. 
It didn't get bottled in Colorado, driven in a truck, sat in a loading dock. Then it got into the the, the Walmart or the uh, you know the liquor store. Yeah, There's and no it, preservatives, yeah. no you know no yeah. pasteurization involved, nothing like yeah, that. So it's fresh. I didn't beer. realize that freshness was important to beer because I thought once it was in the bottle, it would be fine. You're saying that there's factors then that ruin it pretty quickly. It's funny, but to a certain point, you, you can't let it age forever. Okay. Yeah, yeah but I, I I I appreciate a beer that's just been made too. It's yeah. a different experience than uh, uh, one that's sat for quite a while. Right. Some get better, some don't. A lot of Belgian <clears throat> beers, if you put them back, they're made to be put back <laughs> because they have a lot of yeast in the bottle, and that yeast continues to work on the on the on the beer inside the bottle and so it, it gains character over time. Yeah, one thing I, I really, I, I find fascinating about this is even at the level that we're at, and I don't consider us professional no, anything, no, no, no. I mean, we're, 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 we're intermediate brewers. Yeah, but there is such a depth of knowledge to this craft. It's just incredible. You can, you can keep going uh, as crazy as you want to. You can, we, we haven't tried uh, using fruit in the beers yet. Uh, the closest we got was a, a cherry extract with a with our Christmas warmer here this last year, and that came out great. Yeah. Um, does that sound like we're we're still patting ourselves on the back? No. Just, you know. uh, but well, we made a porter with molasses that we added yes. molasses to the the boil, and that was. Good. And then our Christmas beers always have uh, nutmeg and right. cinnamon and those kind of things. spice you know. stuff. Yeah, we pumpkin spice, spice beer. Right. We haven't made we a haven't pumpkin anyway. That's pumpkin. that's on the on the list. Yeah. For a while there, you couldn't get away from pumpkin <clears throat> beers in October and right. September. I so can't we even imagine. Uh, yeah. I'm drinking my squash. No, I don't. Think Actually, so. no, they're really good. They're good. <laughs> I had a pumpkin saison made by Valiant Brewing in Anaheim. That oh, was just amazing. Oh. It was a ten percent alcohol saison. Can you imagine that? <laughs> <laughs> Mommy. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. So I uh, did a little bit of uh, investigation on uh, good old Google Uh-oh. and looked up. Um, then it's got to be know, true. I am like wild foraging and kind of using native plants and doing mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering if uh, you were aware that like wild mushrooms, uh, nettles, and ants were used to make brews. Hmm. That's I, something I that you might consider. Historically? Especially, uh, no, I or, think or some even, people still do it. Well, you know, if that's all you got, I guess. Uh, Okay, that kind of answers my like question. Ant, what do you think of the like the, an the ant pale ale? Just doesn't appeal. Well, to me. I know that. Yeah, um, <laughs> maybe a red ant pale ale. I, 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 my friend has made beer with pine needles mm-hmm. before. Yeah, I did see a recipe for spruce yeah. tips. They're spruce just, beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's that was they were a rage for a while. There's also a, a, a rage for a while and uh, was called a wild beer, which the the yeast was still active really active when they bottled it or when they put it in the keg and so when you got the beer you never knew what you were getting because you weren't managing it the yeast was out of control still doing his thing oh there's also tribes um eskimos who made beer with reindeer milk Hmm. and i don't know what the process was reindeer milk so fermented yes yeah uh, there, and there is a style called a milk stout. I don't know whether it actually has milk in it or it's based on a creaminess of the... Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine drinking fermented milk. 
Well, well somebody could. <laughs> <laughs> there are some Eskimos. If you got blubber or, yeah, or. Yeah. There, there are some Eskimos who would beg to differ with you. They imagine <laughs> it all the time. They probably like it. <laughs> So one of the other things I found on the internet is that uh, using wild elderberries to start fermentation. Mm. And I was looking at all the, the elder, the flowers this year, you know, it's just so abundant that maybe if we if we uh, manage to beat the birds and I gather some berries there's for a, you. There's a monk pipe online in here somewhere about <laughs> somebody giving your hamster and somebody smelling your elderberry. Your beer smells of elderberry. <laughs> I love it. And then a fermentable uh, sugar sources that included tree sap, mm -hmm. honey, lerp sugar, lerp and lerp, L-E-R-P. It's crystallized secretions of an aphid-like insect. Ew. So, yeah, so you could farm <laughs> aphid, aphids and basically collect the nectar that comes There's out. There's my retirement career. I'm going to be an aphid it, farmer. <laughs> there you go. Anyhow, I just wanted to throw that out to the universe. Yeah, no, you know, that, that well, when, when you get when you get more honey, daring and away from the, 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 sure. the, the kits. Um, good, old, good old mead was, was made with honey, you know. That's true. Back, yeah. in, the, back in the day. Yeah, no, I'm not, none of that surprises me. Yeah. Uh, there are people who've made beer with chicken. Did it taste like chicken? <laughs> no. Doesn't it? Oddly, it tastes like beer. <laughs> I wouldn't have expected that. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I've never had it, but uh, he mentions it in this book. Uh, by the way, if anybody out there in Radio Land wants to start homebrewing, this is the book to pick up. Yes, it's the, called "The Complete Joy of Homebrewing," and it's written by a guy named, guy named Charlie Papazian. That's P-A-P-A-Z-I-A-N. Um, get this book. Not only does he demystify the process. But he gives you a lot of ways that you can approach it. And he's a firm believer that you can make great beer whether you're operating on the pure extract level, the medium level where we do a partial mash, or you're a full grain brewer. You can make great beer no matter how you go at it. Mm. And so um, that I That's encouraging. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, he, his big saying is don't worry relax and have a homebrew and not worry about how your beer comes out because if you follow simple steps it will come out just fine and i don't mean to be rude are we going to open this or? no jeez <laughs> <laughs> you open are you chasing a dragon or what <laughs> there's an azaka calling my name here we go I mean, thank you you're a gentleman and a scholar and I Neither of those things, but I happen to be holding the beer. <laughs> so. That makes you my new best friend. <laughs> well, that is one of the joys of brewing. You get a lot more friends. So this is the Azaka. This is one of the more recent uh, kind of oh, uh, experimental. Is, yeah, this is the last beer. This one is much more carbonated than the last one. This yeah, it. It, it really did take on a different characteristic in the uh, uh, the last week or so. Okay, I'll take the rest of this. So what else can we, what other questions can we answer for you, nice lady? Well, I'm not sure what to ask you because you know more about this whole process than I ever did. Well, um, and we know a lot less than the full grain brewers. So right. I would encourage if any full grain brewer hears this broadcast to get in touch with you and talk about the mashing process mm -hmm. because that's really interesting as well. We've never actually yeah. done it. 
Oh, we'd love to talk. I, I, I watched good. a friend do it, and it was really interesting. Uh, we just decided we didn't want to put that much effort in. Maybe once Kevin's retired, we'll, <laughs> we'll go to full grain brewing. But uh, it adds about two to four hours to the front end of the process, and it's very messy. It can be. Uh, if you're, uh, We haven't had any uh, catastrophes yet. One of the big common things <clears> is to, when you're adding hops sometimes, the beer, if it's boiling, will foam up. Uh, not unlike when you're cooking rice and it gets out of control, it can, you can have boil overs and with malt, it's uh, real hard to clean up. Yeah. We've had a few little mishaps, but nothing major like that. Yeah, no no bottle bombs in spite of the bomber name. You know, that, <laughs> that happens when uh, during the, the uh, after the bottle uh, is capped, um, we might have got a little bit too much sugar in there or there's still too much yeast or something like that, so it'll over-carbonate over-pressurized and the bottle explodes. Yeah. It's really messy. That happened to me years ago when I was first uh, doing that. I haven't had, we haven't had that problem. Mm -mm. It's basically five ounces of priming sugar for five ounces, uh, five gallons of beer. Mm -hmm. And the priming sugar is just dextrose. It's corn syrup, uh, corn, okay. corn sugar, basically. So what I'm hearing, though, is that you, you pretty much recommend that maybe um, if someone is going to do home brewing at home, not being in the kitchen, but actually setting up like a... A kitchen out in the garage, maybe? Or? Yeah, because there's also, you have to set up various levels so that when you're mashing, things flow uh, down. Because when you go to sparge that, when you go to run hot water through that grain that you've been working right. with all that time, it has to go down. So it, it's easier if you have kind of a pyramid system. And that is something that needs to be set up. In a, in a garage or a okay. brewing room or a, a community-funded brewery for us. Yes. Yeah. There so you maybe, go. you know, perhaps we could a, start a fund. A cooperative program a, for a cooperative us. cooperative brewing <laughs> center. Something like that. There you go. I like, I like the <laughs> ring of that. Yeah, I do. You Would go. you suggest doing a buddy system like the two you have done? Or do you think it, it is something that fun. you can I mean, do on your own? It, it, anybody can do it. It, it, one person can do it. It's really, really easy to do uh, on your own. But, I mean, you know, we, we both enjoy doing it. We have a lot of fun doing this stuff together. It's, it's just, a social activity for us. <laughs> it like, is. It I is. mean, you, you know, well, other people go to the movies because they have a movie theater in town. Our wives watch us make beer, and it's a comedy every time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, And so that's the other thing is the wives are there, and they're having a blast. Uh, and they help us name the beers. And then, of course, they do the bottling and the capping. And there's food. And yeah, we always make sure there's food. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a sip of this beer 30. Yes. And because um, it's, it's beer 30 or something. It must be. <laughs> yeah, the, the pot smokers are too exact. They have an exact time. Oh, yeah. We leave it any time could be beer 30. Any time is beer 30. Not quite as sweet as the other one was. Right. No, and this has got a less um, hoppy finish. Yeah, I don't feel that bitterness. Yeah, this one is 5.7%. This one was, what, 8.1%? It was 8.1%. 8.1 is a pretty big. Um, that's, that's what we call a big beer, anything from 8 to 12. And, and that's typical in the style of the double idea. Yeah, that's going to be higher alcohol. Yeah. Okay. You can give the beer away, but you can't sell it, if I understand correctly. Because yep. you don't have a, a beer license. If someone in ANSA was interested in, in growing hops for the hmm. microbrew industry, would you consider uh, working you know with somebody? That's a great You're question. You're looking at somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Who did the, the Moxie ale? We, we had 
who made that? We just had some of it a couple of weeks ago. But there's, in, in the Northwest, there's massive oh, hop yeah, Yakima. Uh, yeah, the Yakima Valley used to live up there. Um, huge hop growing areas, a lot of Oregon and into Idaho, uh, probably a, a more states than I can think of, uh, are huge hop growing areas. Um, <clears throat> actually, this is not a bad area to grow hops uh, for, for as far as the climate goes. Um, you know, a little bit of, of uh, sub-freezing temperatures in the winter, a little bit of really warm uh, summers, um, moderate, uh, generally all year round, it's, it's really a great area for hops. Um, I'd be interested to see how that worked. And I'll, I, that's my opinion. Um, I, I can't point at any science and say, yes, this is a perfect area for hops. Um, but I think, I think there's a possibility for that. Working with someone, we use uh, three ounces at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're not a good customer, but I would love to talk with anybody that was interested in growing hops. Okay. Uh, from what I understand, yeah, it is a perfect area, but the gophers love it. The mm -hmm. hops, tubers. Yeah. Yep. So you'd have to protect your tubers right. and then you know, right. just let them go. And, and but it's so pretty as they're growing these long vines that come oh, yeah, up no, the, over a trellis. And trellises. the smell is just amazing. Oh, yeah. It's they're beautiful. Yeah. And that, that makes me think of something similar, but on a slightly different tangent in that one of the things that home brewing has done for us is it's expanded our palate, you know. When, uh, now, I had I was drinking a lot of different styles of beer, but I remember when we first got, got together, you were pretty much a stout guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and and then he started brewing beer with me, and we started, we have to do research, so we drink a lot of commercial brewers like, you know, Stone and those guys. And we, I think you become more of a hop lover than I am now. I, you're more certainly more judicious about hops than I am. You, well, it's it's that's a great point, and it's fascinating to me how the, the same plant, just different varieties of the same plant, can produce all of these different right. flavors in, in in all of these varieties. I mean, we've made thirty beers, and really no single beer is alike. Mm -hmm. We haven't reproduced one beer over again. And, and, and we're nowhere near done. Yeah, we, we haven't. We could probably make another 30 more, but these are replicating. Do you yeah. keep notes as you're going along yeah, for I'm, each one so that you can, mm, you know, when you put the hops in at different times? And I'm, I'm the secretary. You know. <laughs> okay. I, some, some notes are better than others. The ones on New Year's Eve, indecipherable. <laughs> But we take those as more like suggestions and actual facts, you know. I'm Jack Kerouac in that one. I'm a little more analytical in the other yeah. one. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the beer is wonderful stuff. It's it's like wine in that people can do all different kinds of different things with them, with it, and uh, and making the different styles and, and learning how to appreciate yeah. it has been really yeah. fun for the last four years. Um, and, and making your own gives, gives you a real appreciation for these brewers who were f brewing in 200-gallon tanks or 500-gallon yep. yep. tanks and getting the process <clears throat> so exact. Our process is far from exact. Right. But when, they're, when they're calculating their uh, ABV, they're looking at the humidity in the brew house. They're regulating the temperatures through all kinds of devices. Parametric pressure. They're doing all kinds yeah. of different things that... We, we're not doing. 
we get the joy of tasting our beer almost right away. Right. They have, a, they, you know, they're a, we're not like distillers where they have to wait 10 years. <laughs> right. Well, they have to, you know, what's ever brewed in, you know, in the Colorados has to taste the same as what's brewed over on the on the West Coast. So they right. have to right. be really stringent with, you know, the expectation, you know, to drink a, you know, a Bud Light. It's got to taste the same no matter where For the go. macro brewers, yes. It's yeah. interesting, though. You drink an IPA from, let's say, Deschutes Brewery in Bend, Oregon, and then you drink one from Stone down here in Escondido. The, the, the Stone beer is going to be a hop assault. It's going to be IBUs. Oh, it's in your face. It's really in your face. Your, your, your palate is ruined. You can't taste anything else. The one you would get from Oregon is a balance between malt. And then you drink a British IPA, and, and it's could, a whole different ballgame. You, you can barely taste the hops. So there's styles <laughs> within styles, okay. is right. what I'm saying. It's, it's uh, really incredible. And, uh, you know, actually, you, you, you touched on the, uh, um, the, the microbrewers. Uh, and, and, oh, gosh, from, for the first... Uh, the, 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 the previous, micros? No, 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 the micros. The, the, for the last 25 years or so, we've seen this virtual onslaught of microbrews, on especially on the West Coast. Can handle. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I really have a lot of respect for what the people involved in the microbrew uh, profession are doing. Uh, you know, Steve and I have, have traveled uh, extensively over different areas. And, and visited many, many microbreweries, and the, the effort and the, the dedication that these people put into this craft is incredible. And that's, that's everywhere from, from California, Oregon, Washington, all on the West Coast. I've, you know, I've been in a couple in Alaska. I, looking out the window in Alaska at a, at a glacier while I'm drinking a, a microbrew, all the way to, to Washington, D.C., uh, where I'm, I'm sitting in my favorite Irish pub in the United States, drinking microbrews from, you know, locally there uh, in D.C. And, and everywhere in between, the the effort that goes into this this craft of these people is just amazing. And I, I feel like a, a, a rank amateur compared to, the, to well, what we they are. do. And, but that's great, though, because we're all contributing to the, to the knowledge base that yeah. is this uh, yeah. brewing. You're not even a microbrewer. You guys are oh, no, na nanobrewers. We're, we're, we're home brewers. We're home brewers. Our volume is a, bl a blip on the, on the radar, if that. Right. Uh, the other thing I would say, too, is that um, uh, some of these guys who started 30 years ago, 40 years ago, have hit it big. Sierra oh, Nevada yeah. started oh, with God. a guy fashioning his own equipment and doing it. The well, biggest one, um, Sculpa, uh, Ballast Point Ballast Brewing, is a great a example. Success success. <laughs> 30... Oh 30 years ago, these guys came up with an IPA called Sculpin IPA, and it was really um, one of the banners of the, uh, the it, West Coast, Coast IPA. Yeah, and ironically, the, with a picture of the ugliest fish on the planet, <laughs> that's yeah. what Sculpin knew. Yeah. And then they, uh, they, they brewed that for 30 years, became rich and famous, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, a foreign uh, beer, beer distributor says, you know what, we'll take it off your hands. For one billion dollars, so some guys who were brewing beer in their garage 30 years ago finally put together a brewery, started brewing, started cranking out beers. Uh, 30, 40 years later, they're uh, they're selling that beer for one billion dollars. The other thing we're seeing too is collaborations between breweries, like oh, someone like the Sierra Nevada. 
will go to a really small brewery because they like their beer and they'll collaborate on a beer. So they, what they provide for that particular beer is distribution mm -hmm. because if it's a collaborative <clears throat> between Sierra Nevada, which is known nationwide and this little brewery in Podunk, wherever, uh, that's exposure they would never get anywhere else. Uh, and so that's pretty cool. Yeah, a lot and of the it, a lot of the big uh, uh, big breweries have done that. Uh, Anchor did it, and a lot of the Japanese breweries <laughs> are starting to collaborate with mm -hmm. the U.S. Uh, craft beer makers. Thank you for joining us for this week's Cup of Fika with Anika. Tune in Wednesdays at three p.m. and a replay on Sundays at one p.m. If you have any questions or comments for me or my guests please send an email to programming at koyt971.org and put FICA in the subject line. Enjoy the rest of your day.